A reading from the, from the book of Isaiah, beginning in the 51st chapter. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry from which you were hewn. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who gave you birth. When I called him, he was only one man, and I blessed him and made him many. The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the sound of singing. Listen to me, my people. Hear me, my nation. Instruction will go out from me. My justice will become a light to the nations. My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation is on the way, and my arm will bring justice to the nations. The islands will look to me and wait in hope for my arm. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment, and its inhabitants die like flies. But my salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. The word of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. It's good to be back with you this evening. Um, we had a wonderful time away and are, are glad to be back here with you. We were a little dismayed that the heat was returning along with us. Um, There has been so much happening in our world over the last few weeks, it seems almost psychologically impossible to maintain awareness of all of the sorrowful and sickening things that we read in the news. One could almost be forgiven for nearly forgetting the gruesome murders on our own public transit earlier this summer uh, in the face of subsequently nuclear threats of war the hideous, quite literally unmasked white supremacy marching through cities of our nation, and now one of our great cities, Houston, completely submerged in water. There's a lot going on. There seems to be a lot of uh, elements of darkness throughout the world, not just in our part of it. And parts of Christianity in North America, when when it hasn't been directly complicit in these sorts of evils, I think has struggled to know how to address them. And most often we opt to ignore them. And I think those of us that have grown up in evangelicalism have seen this strange sort of deterioration on one side that has resulted in a, in a completely uh, breaking free of any sense of morality or, or ethics, any sort of change in the human person when they have encountered Christ. There's been this almost complete deterioration and it's resulted in an inability to speak truth to power, to say to evil people in the world that what they are doing is evil. But on the other hand, there's this sort of awakening where the fires of activism and the burning word of prophetic rebuke are being stoked. And it seems as though the church is struggling to find her footing and there's this anxiety in the water that makes all of our talking and all of our thinking about what our role as the church 
might be in this world feel like trying to catch your breath in an overheated sauna. You just, you can't quite figure it out. Our lesson from Isaiah this evening was heard originally by God's people living in exile. You can imagine that the anxiety felt by Isaiah's hearers was not entirely dissimilar to our own. God's people had been called to embody his righteousness and mercy in the world. But rather than model and advocate justice for the oppressed, God's people, and often especially the leaders of God's people, were found instead to be utterly unrighteous in their worship of God and in their treatment of their neighbors. And so God sends the prophets over and over again to plead with the people to return to the way of life outlined for them in the covenant that God made with Moses. But generally speaking, the people refused and were eventually overrun by pagan nations who enslaved them and carted them off. And this message from Isaiah is given to these people who have lost everything. It's not just that they lost their homes and their livelihoods, but the actual covenant that they had made between themselves and God was predicated upon being in the land. So to be in exile was to say the covenant may somehow be off because of their behavior, because of their breaking it. They're trying to figure out how and if they can ever get back and rebuild, not just politically, but morally and religiously. And so for some, the desire to stoke fire and bring illumination to their situation was strong, not unlike many of us today. And here's where I think the words of Isaiah are so instructive for us, because just previous to our reading this evening, in chapter 50, Isaiah says this, Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. But now, all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go. Walk in the light of your fires and the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. Does the church have something to say, and more importantly, most likely to do, in response to the various issues that are facing our culture here in Portland, in the United States, and throughout the world? Absolutely. Yes. Are we to be a place of life and light, illuminating the space around us with the glory of God's love? Yes. Which is why, when we hear the words of Isaiah, we have to realize it is so important that we dare not light our own torches in an attempt to set things right. We cannot just go about busying ourselves with activism, hoping that we're going to make things better. Instead, what does Isaiah tell us at the beginning of this, of this lesson from this evening? He tells us to listen. The word of God speaking through Isaiah comes to his people and says, listen. Listening to God may be one of the most radical, countercultural things available to us. To listen to God requires a cultivation of silence in our interior life and a gathering together around his words spoken in the context of his church. The reason that listening to God in the context of silence is so radical is because the world is so full of noise. Thomas Merton once wrote, the turmoil and confusion and constant noise of modern society 
are the expression, the ambiance of its greatest sins, its godlessness, its despair. A world of propaganda, of endless argument, vituperation, criticism, or simply of chatter is a world without anything to live for. The man wrote it before Facebook was a thing. A world of constant argument, criticism, and chatter is a world without anything to live for. There is so much noise. To be silent and listen for God is absolutely radical. And to be the church as she should be, to be the body of Christ in this moment in time fundamentally requires that we cultivate and practice a scripture-soaked silence in order to hear God. If we fail to do this, then any torch we light will most likely lead us into further chaos. If the events of the world are troubling you, you have a response available. It is to sit silent and listen for the voice of God speaking in his word. In addition to listening, we are told to look to the rock from which we were hewn. Isaiah is saying this to the people of Israel, and the imagery of rock in Scripture is fairly pervasive, but here in this usage he's saying that it's a picture of Abraham and Sarah. Is there anything more lifeless than a rock? Anything with less potential for procreation? You guys remember in the office when Michael gives Toby a rock? <laughs> right? It's not, not always a great comparison to be compared to a rock. Is there anything with less potential for life and procreation than a rock? So it was with the ancient pair, decades beyond childbearing, and yet from that utter lack of potential, God built the entire nation of Israel. In her wanderings through the desert after fleeing slavery in Egypt, God's people, desperate for water, were led to a rock. The expectations could not have been any lower. You're in the desert, and you want water, and you're brought to a rock. And yet water was provided from that rock. In our gospel lesson this evening, Peter is the first to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And he, he does so not because he's smart, not because he has his own insight, but because God has revealed it to him. Peter is then given the name Rock. And he's told that he is the rock upon which the church will be built. Peter, the one who would betray and deny Christ, swearing up and down that he never met him, even to just a little servant girl, He's so afraid. If ever there was a rock with less potential, the entire band of apostles with their ragtag faith, their thick, slow imperceptibility, they are the rock from which we are hewn. We have been given the apostolic message and the apostolic faith. Life has sprung forth from a rock. Jesus Christ himself is the stone that the builders rejected no potential in this one. This rock will not work, they said. But what does Scripture tell us? He has become the chief cornerstone. And we, having been brought into the church through the teaching of the apostles, as it has been passed down, are being built up stone by stone, rock by rock, into God's temple. The point of our Isaiah passage is that if you think things around you look bleak, they probably are, maybe even bleaker than we realize. But when we listen for the voice of God and when we look to his provision in the past and we see the way that he has worked out salvation throughout time, 
we realize that his plan of salvation and his righteousness is utterly fixed. It is without sway. There is nothing stronger than God's arm to save. Friends, if we are to be the body of Christ in this city, so haunted by racism, so consumed by her sexual appetite, so gluttonous in her pursuit of food and pleasure, and so littered with the addicted and destitute, then we must be people who have been remade to dwell in the silence of God. Listening for the voice of his word, capital W, Christ, to speak the word of both judgment and comfort. We must be people who have been trained to look at lifeless rocks and see the glory and wisdom of God made manifest as he goes about planting a paradisical garden in the desert. Isaiah is talking to people who have lost everything and he's telling them God is going to make you into a better Eden. Perhaps you've entered this place exhausted. It's possible that there's a relationship or a possession that has become your comfort and your security and your chokehold on it has left you tired. Or perhaps you've entered this place heartbroken and overwhelmed by the darkness that seems to roll upon itself in thicker and thicker clouds with each new headline. Perhaps you came here outraged and anxious over the weak men who have somehow clawed their way to destructive power quite possible that you're here and so filled with noise that it's impossible to, de de to detect which of these, if any of them, you may be feeling. And to each of you, I would say, understand this. God's victory is assured. In fact, it has already taken place. In Christ's death and resurrection, the devil was paraded about as a captor. His time is done. It's over. God has won. Notice that Christ says, on the rock his church will be built and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Gates are not offensive weapons. The church is not on the defensive. Gates are a final defense. As Christ's body, we have already been seated in the heavenly places at the right hand of God. God's righteousness and his salvation are so everlasting, so unwearoutable that they make the entire universe seem as fragile as a pair of khakis from Old Navy. God's salvation lasts forever. He has won. So whatever trouble we have entered in this place in our hearts, I invite us all now in silence to consider the word of God one more time. Listen to me, my people. Hear me, my nation. Instruction will go out from me. My justice will become a light to the nations. My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation is on the way. And my arm will bring justice to the nations. The islands will look to me and wait in hope for my arm. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment and its inhabitants die like flies. But my salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. Hear me, you who know what is right, you people who have taken my instruction to heart. Do not fear the reproach of mere mortals or be terrified by their insults, for the moth will eat them up like a garment, the worm will devour them like wool, 
but my righteousness will last forever, my salvation through all generations. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.